the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. Strange days indeed, to quote the philosopher John Lennon. Since 2013, the organization Black Lives Matter has been stalking America to upturn and overturn a fairly placid country that was getting things about as right as a country could on issues of race. So much so, ethnic and racial minorities were and are flocking to get into this country. Many of us were not buying into the BLM propaganda. Too many of us were. Today, the fraud is there for all to see. The organization was founded by two women who said they were trained Marxists. What they didn't tell you is they were trained in Mercedes Marxism or perhaps Cadillac communism. Here's the latest story. The Black Lives Matter Foundation has $42 million in net assets, the Associated Press reported uh, today, today, reported Tuesday today. The foundation's co-founder, self-proclaimed Marxist Patrice Coulors, used the foundation's money to pay millions of dollars to family members, friends, and the father of her child. The Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, in a 990 tax disclosure obtained by the AP, reported that it invested $32 million in stocks from the $90 million it received as donations thanks to the 2020 race protests. Hell of a trained Marxist that puts $32 million in the stock market, don't you think? It ended its last fiscal year with $42 million in net assets and has an operating budget of about $4 million. The Black Lives Matter Foundation with those uh, with those uh, net assets um, has um, has caused what Patrice Collor has said is a triggering moment for her whenever she hears the word 990. But look at what these hucksters put us through while all that self enrichment was going on. Take a look at the house and the security and the amounts of money she paid for not only fences and security cameras, but her brother-in-law with no security experience to handle security, I guess in preparation for the success they may have when they one day do abolish the police. But look at what these hucksters put us through. We were forced to discover of a sudden things that have evidently plagued society negatively and evidently, quite foundationally, that we didn't even know. John Muir, founder of the Sierra Club, for instance, had the club tripping all over itself in 2020 to do something about the fact that Muir was evidently a racist. I cannot imagine, cannot imagine how anyone got through hiking or walking through the Muir Trail in Yosemite or the Muir Grove in Sequoia National Park all these years. Maybe someone will light the General Sherman tree on fire there to protest. Of course, the double irony in that would be either too much or perfect given the times, go after a leader of the Union from the Civil War who helped save the Union by erasing any remnant of the history of the cause of manumission and do so by, if I may, 
fighting fire with fire, just as they went after monuments to Frederick Douglass and Ulysses Grant. Why wouldn't Sherman be on the chopping block? I mean, if federal courthouses that hear federal civil rights violations are to be targeted because they represent America, why not the rest of the federal parks? And if going after U.S. Grant... Frederick Douglass, which the BLM protesters did, it makes no sense that Sherman would be exempt, especially given all the anti-Semitism rife throughout America's left today, knowing that General Sherman was known as the second Moses by the slaves he liberated. But we are on a hunt now, aren't we? Discovering and uncovering badges and vestiges of racism we never knew existed and never gave us a twinge, much less even a hint of thought until the BLM protest and resurgence two years ago. That's how bad the legacy of racism in our institutional systemic racism is today. We didn't even know about it. We didn't see it. We didn't act on it. We didn't think about it. In other words, it was a nullity in every aspect of our lives until we were told, no, it's not. It's there. You just don't know it or can't see it. That's how widespread it is. But as a child, I was taught not to believe in ghosts especially if nothing is haunting me. This is much like Dennis Prager's point that if we are such a racist society, why are the biggest news stories about racial incidents hoaxes or mistakes? Why does the racism need to be invented? Think Covington Catholic boys. Think Jussie Smollett. Think Bubba Wallace. Think of Oakland and the Lake Merritt nooses. Just Google race hoax incidents and you'd be amazed how much is there. Again, the point, we were and are hell-bent right now on proving how racist we are as a society when in fact we aren't to the point of digging up bones we didn't even know were in our burial sites because we didn't even know there were burial sites think john muir or we just engage in hoax and all this one of the more interesting things to me was how much of a pass margaret sanger and planned parenthood got throughout the whole 2020 2021 20 this year debacle as opposed to john muir let us say sanger has been known forever as a eugenicist and there is a clear causal connection between her views and her organization's practice it's just that her organization's lobby did not want to admit it as not the case of a ghost but a true and real ghoul or vampire that has stalked society for far too long which brings us to hadley arcus's great line about rituals of empty exactitude in our language. There are now in our newsrooms and style manuals, as well as in our universities, guidelines, new guidelines and instructions on the use of language, not the language of epithets or terms derogatory. We ended all that actually a long time ago, but the use of normal language itself. And of course, what gets capitalized and what does not. Jeff Jacoby writes, the chair of the English department at Rutgers University, Rebecca Walkowitz, recently sent a 3,400-word email on the subject to the staff, students, and faculty members at, Ru at Rutgers. Her message went into considerable detail to describing the, quote, ongoing and future initiatives that are planned to create and promote anti an anti-racist environment and eradicate the violence and systemic inequities facing black, indigenous, and people of color members in our community to cultivate critical conversations on state power, racism, violence, white supremacy, protest, and resistance, and justice, close quote. I should first pause to note 
Who knew Rutgers was such an antebellum hot spot of racial hostility? This, by the way, is the same school Elizabeth Warren went to. Why would anyone have gone there? Why would she stay silent about it? Much less worked in such an environment of violent and systemic racism and white supremacy. But now we know that Rutgers to be a violent outpost of white supremacy. What is the solution? What is to be done? Not end its federal aid, to be sure. That would be my first thought, as federal aid is conditioned to every school on compliance with standards of civil rights. So no, evidently not that, though the school is violently racist. The answer, as Professor Walkowitz puts it, quote, our approach challenges the familiar dogma that writing instruction should limit emphasis on grammar sentence-level issues so as not to put students from multilingual, non-standard academic English backgrounds at a disadvantage, close quote. Or as law professor David Bernstein put it more clearly, quote, the Rutgers English Department wants to make sure that students who come to Rutgers with a poor grasp of standard written English not only remain in that state, but come to believe that learning standard English is a concession to racism. I remember when keeping people of color ignorant was considered actually a part of white supremacy, close quote. I think what the African-American speech pathologist Leonidas Johnson wrote is even more appropriate. Quote, the idea that expecting a student to write in grammatically correct sentences is indicative of racial bias is asinine. It's like these people believe that being non-white is an inherent handicap or learning disability, which to me is the real racism. It has become very clear to me that those who claim to be anti-racist are often the most racist people in this country, close quote. So knowing per the New York Times that white parents are the biggest problem in elementary and secondary education. Do you remember that headline? And now knowing that the English language is itself a vestige of racial violence, the AP News announced it would capitalize the word black when used to describe racial, ethnic or cultural topics, but decided white will not receive the same capitalization, partly because the news gathering service feels capitalizing white could subtly legitimize white supremacy beliefs. As the editor of Standards at AP wrote, quote, the AP style will continue to lowercase the term white in racial and ethnic cultural sentences as white people generally do not share the same history and culture or the experience of being discriminated against because of skin color. In addition, we are a global news organization, and in much of the world there is considerable disagreement, ambiguity, and confusion about whom the term includes, close quote. But as the editor put it, quote, people who are black have strong historical and cultural commonalities, even if they are from different parts of the world, close quote. Understand that? Black people think alike, historically and culturally at least, and white people don't. Please explain this to Candace Owens and Clarence Thomas so that Al Sharpton and Louis Farrakhan will start agreeing with Candace Owens and Clarence Thomas. But, of course, you know that is not the task. The task is to get everyone to think like Al Sharpton or Patrice Coulours. I suppose I take umbrage in this categorizing of being white and not sharing the same history and culture as other whites the way evidently all black people do for I thought I actually had a lot in common with some of my friends of all colors, including white and including black, which is why we are friends. But I know this is all actually just crap, as I know I have much more in common with Larry Elder than I do with either Al Sharpton or, for that matter, Chuck Schumer, just as Larry Elder has more in common with me than he does with 
I don't know, Don Lemon, let's say. So you can see quite quickly and evidently we are all, all of us, in the knowledge of this and know what nonsense we are living with. The AP knows it just as Don Lemon knows it, just as you and I know it. We're a very informed society. So we shall now engage in this ritual of empty exactitude to play along in some kind of routine burlesque, in Arcus's words, a routine burlesque that becomes a quick parody of itself, immediately taking a serious issue, racism, and turning it into an unserious one. But I do have a nagging question. If one's white skin color makes one automatically, systematically engaged in racism and inequality as the AP instructs us or believes, will they now fire all of their white reporters and columnists? Shouldn't they? Another question. There's a Marxist writer, very well known, was, she just passed away, named Bell Hooks. She passed away, but she is still featured on video at the Smithsonian website dedicated to explaining the problems of whiteness. She deliberately lowercases her name, Bell Hooks, for reasons really only explainable to her. So far as I can tell, she's also an African-American. So what if she is described in the AP with her lowercase name but identified in capitalizations the way she seems to not want? Much confusion, I should think, but maybe we're not supposed to think. Not to be outdone here, Neil Irvin Painter writes in the Washington Post, quote, white Americans have had the choice of being something vague, something unraced and separate from race. A capitalized W challenges that freedom by unmasking whiteness as an American racial identity as historically important as blackness. No longer should white people be allowed to to the comfort of this racial invisibility. They should have to see themselves as raced. Being racialized makes white people squirm, so let's racialize them with that capital W. So, white people until today were unraced, and we must make them race, cognizant of their race, so that they can squirm. I'm sorry if I'm confused now, but it's quite like being lost on the Muir Trail, I suppose. I never thought of my race as important or indicative of anything any more than I thought of anyone else's as indicative or important to anything. Because I learned long ago there were regimes that did operate in terms of racial categorization, racial commonalities and differences, racial superiority and racial inferiority. And they then placed those commonalities and differences in hierarchies leading to violence. I read and learned all about it from the trials at Nuremberg that began in 1946 and worked backward to see how it could possibly arise as did Robert Jackson in his closing arguments at the Nuremberg trials. That's exactly what happens to a society that starts by declaring all humans in the same category, then backtracks on that and fights a war to redeclare the original proposition, then finds vestiges of the country that cannot accept the ending of that war, so commits itself to further concretizing the end of that war and recommitting in federal law based on constitutional amendment, that fundamental and natural truth, only to then find reason to upend, once again, that truth to recategorize us yet again. Robert Jackson closed his argument in Nuremberg with these words, quote, If you were to say of these men that they are not guilty, it would be as true as to say there has been no war, there are no slain, there has been no crime, close quote. But you see, for most of us with a modicum of education about the human condition and American history, we know who the guilty are. We know there were wars about all of this. 
We know who was slain and why, and we know what the crimes were, and it all began with the notion that race must be made a conscious and conscientious thing, the only point of which the only point is so that race becomes, in the words of the Washington Post and the AP, a distinguishing and conscientious factor in our daily social and professional lives, so that it, race and racialized thinking, can matter. And once it matters, so that it can be qualified, not just quantified, given a quality. That's what it means for something to matter, to make a difference, to give something substance. I truly do fear all this, for it may start with language and words and rituals to parody initially, rituals of seemingly empty exactitude. But behind those rituals, something moves deep and ominous. It may start with language and words, but language and words matter as almost all things do, and they can be used for liberty and liberation just as they can be used for enslavement and tyranny. Using words and language this way will not end well. It hardly ever does. Except for the leaders of every Marxist regime and movement, even here to the tune of self-enrichment in the tens of millions of dollars. Meanwhile, let me lay down a benchmark, a bookmark, as it appears a lot of others have gotten into this game. And what we did with race, we shall now be doing with pronouns and pregnancy. Someone or someones are making a lot of money on this baloney. I just never thought we could all be so easily fooled. But at least all those museums and schools and athletic associations and franchises that confessed their institutionalized racism, posted statements of confession and sent letters proclaiming their guilt and effort to rid themselves of it two years ago, appears at least that they got the job done, didn't they? It's all over now, isn't it? Who knew the hundreds year struggle it took us to get right could have been accomplished in just two years if we only could have had Patrice Kalur's efforting it all before 2020. And we'd still have $42 million left over. That's not really the point. The point is this. From COVID to everything Kulor's foisted on us to what we're seeing in the fights over our children and sex, we are not just a seemingly knowledgeable country. We are a very gullible and disturbed place in what was once universally considered the last best hope of Earth. Bill Vogley writes, Valuable things are easy to break. And hard to replace. I hope that's not our epitaph. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. We'll get to your calls in just a moment. I wanted to... Uh, give one slight direction. Um, you know, I often refer you to the Powerline blog. Steve Hayward writes some great loose ends from time to time. Here's one today. I can fit right in here. Another Biden achievement reached. Gasoline prices rise above $4 in all 50 states for first time ever. Chaser! California's gas average tops $6 per gallon as price surges across the United States. Republicans really might want to seize on the notion of the party. We are the party that's going to make life a little easier on you being an American. Life should not be this hard. The Democrats have made it this hard. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. There's Tina in Star Valley, that little candle that throws her beams. How are you, Tina? I am, I am as well as can be expected, given the fact that I just saw 2,000 mules. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I'm kind of, kind of overwhelmed by that. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I went to a. How did you see it, by Monday. the way? What, what did you? D- oh, I uh, my my dear friend Larry Beecraft, who's my constitutional attorney friend, uh, emailed me a link. So gotcha. Yeah. So on uh, on, yeah. on the, yeah online. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to find, and of course, uh, you know, posting it on Facebook. There's this long disclaimer, full of so many lies that. I had to keep myself from ripping my hair out mm-hmm. um, <laughs> while I was reading it. it it's really went, weird how, yeah. how, how movies are now getting <laughs> these. I, I knew we were in trouble. I knew we were in trouble when I started seeing movies about four or five years ago have disclaimers on them saying, warning, uh, this uh, this film depicts cigarette smoking. I knew we were in trouble. Because uh, I've never seen that about the use of dangerous, danger, illegal, dangerous drugs. I never saw it. Still don't. But I do see it about cigarette smoking. So, yeah, right. yeah. What they think yeah. is dangerous is actually what might just not be. But go ahead. Yeah, but then of course I I actually wanted to call and talk about. But since you prefaced, uh, you know, with your your wonderful uh, essay on on racism. Uh, the new press secretary. Oh my word! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Karen Jean Pierre, right? Yeah, she has made uh, yeah. a fairly yeah. well of blaming uh, racism on everyone who doesn't agree with her. Yes. Well, she's she's got the history of being a, an absolute uh, uh, despicable racist. Mm. And uh, what I saw her answer, or um, you know, allegedly answer Peter Ducey's very straightforward question. Um, you know, I, I think maybe everybody's seen that, and if they haven't, they need to, you know, find it. Yeah, we played it yesterday. Um, so Peter Ducey asked yeah. her about uh, the proposal. She had said uh, she had said that we are going to ask uh, the wealthy to pay a fairer share of their taxes to defeat inflation. He was asking her if she could connect those dots, and she could not. No, she was channeling her inner her inner Kamala. Yeah. Uh, you know, just 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 babbling. I mean, the the woman is an embarrassment. Um, but of course, she's brown enough and gay enough, and uh, you know, and and foreign enough that these are such uh, key factors in being able to represent the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. So I I I, I, I just think I, you know I just think. Um, Tina, we're going to have to brace ourselves. We're going to have a few more years of this. And I think yeah. it was doubled down or tripled down on today. I don't know where we are at this point on it. Certainly trouble level uh, at minimum. I, I, You know, it was doubled down on today with the linking of white nationalism, the Republican Party, and January 6th all together by the President of the United States. This only just a few months after claiming that the Republican Party was the party of Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis and George Wallace. Uh, be, be, we're, we're just going to have to buckle in for this. 
and see who's going to revise history and win or who's going to keep history uh, accurate and win. And hopefully it'll be our side. But I'll tell you, the media ain't helping. Oh, it's 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 very depressing. I mean, I'm really trying to keep hope alive. Um and it's it's hard right now because the the uh, the event that I went to on Sunday, uh, they showed two thousand mules, and also they had statisticians who showed exactly how the vote was stolen in all fifty states. And um, in all I've fifty got, or I've six select, I did, I haven't seen it. Uh, <laughs> what, so is it all fifty or is it just six? Because the reviews I saw well, and some of the promotional I saw said it was six states. The, no, the 2,000 mules, uh, you're, you're right, that is the six days. Okay. But the statisticians that were there to, to do a separate presentation actually showed how, um, how it's been. It's not just recent. The, the thing that they said was that Donald Trump's win was so pronounced and so obvious that that kind of woke up people to the stolen elections, which had been going on for a long time. And apparently what they do is they pad the voter, the voter rolls right before elections. Those, you know, then the vote comes in, and then they, they clean up the voter rolls afterwards. Isn't, isn't it interesting that they're the ones always gaslighting about how we're in the way of, uh, we're, we're, we're in the way, well, we're, we're the cause of voter suppression. Isn't that the interesting thing? i got to hit a quick break. Tina, you're welcome to stay if you have more. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Let me tell you about my friends at Y-Refi who are offering a really unique and great investment opportunity. It's a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors in a collateralized and secure portfolio. Y-Refi is in the business of helping people who are doing their best to dig out a debt the right way by helping them dig out of debt and getting them out of debt, paying off their debts with dignity, even getting their FICO scores fixed as they do so. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really great people who are doing really well by helping others, and you can too. What can I tell you more about them? I know them. I trust them. I have seen their business models, plans. I have talked to investors who have worked with them and invested with them, and they say as much good about them as I do. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com, or give them a call at 855-316-3087. You can visit them. They're a local company. You won't get a sales pitch. They just love talking about what they're doing, and I can understand why. Invest, Y Refi. I had mentioned earlier uh, Judge Ketanji uh, Brown Jackson having, you know, kind of disappeared from the news uh, after you know such a historical moment was celebrated, and uh, Andy McCarthy uh, found her. Uh, she sat for an interview uh, for the Washington Post, and she was asked about the leak of Justice Alito's draft opinion in the Dobbs abortion case. And the demonstrations at the homes of the several justices, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, as well as conservative justices identified in the media reporting as having voted with Alito to overturn Roe and Casey. Here's the relevant excerpt from the interview Andy McCarthy identifies. Question, what was your response when you saw the draft leak of the Supreme Court opinion? Answer, 
Everybody who is familiar with the court and the way in which it works was shocked by that. Such a departure from normal order. Question. Do you think it was a good thing or a bad thing? Answer. I can't answer that. Question. What do you think about peaceful protests outside of Supreme Court justices' homes? Answer. I don't have any comment. This ranges from somewhere between cowardly and sinister, much like the failure of the justices to issue a joint statement that echoes the chief justice's condemnation of the leak and statement of determination to identify the leaker and that condemns the protests which violate federal law. Have you, talk, have you taken a moment to wonder why there wasn't a concerted statement by all the justices on that? Because they couldn't get unanimity on that. That's why. That's why the progressive justices in particular would do their institution a great service by rebuking the leak and the illegal actions patently intended to intimidate justices, regardless of vehement disagreements they may have with the draft, which, of course, remains a mere draft for all we know and no binding opinion just yet. But they are AWOL and thus, like the Biden administration, tacitly approving of or at least indulgent of the scare tactics, the pressure tactics against the court and its members. Or maybe they figure, not irrationally, that if they said the right things, they'd have the peaceful protesters on their front lawns next. It would be understandable if Judge Jackson had said she'd agreed to speak to the Post about the jurists who had influenced and inspired her, but that she would not discuss the Dobbs leak at all. Had she done that, she could not be fairly accused of vaguely endorsing the leak and the demonstrations at the justices' homes. But that is not what she did. She first expressed shock over the leak, so it was clearly a topic she was willing to weigh in on. But then she refused to say whether she thought the leak, which the Chief Justice and Justice Clarence Thomas, the senior justice on the court, have full-throatedly condemned. She refused to say whether it was a good or bad thing. She was asked, and she refused to answer. And then she could not bring herself to say that people should not protest at the home's of justices, something even Judiciary Chairman Dick Durbin, one of the most influential Democrats in the Senate, has described as a reprehensible thing. And it's also, by the way, against federal law. Justice Thomas has opined in recent public statements that the leak has changed the court fundamentally and irretrievably, betraying trust. In contrasting the current Supreme Court with how it was at the turn of the century, he ruefully observed, this is not the court of that Era. We actually trusted each other. We may have been a dysfunctional family, but we were a family. Not anymore. Another norm broken. You think about the trust. You know, these clerks work hand in glove, obviously, with the Supreme Court justices, and the Supreme Court justices talk hand in glove with one another, discussing, debating, circulating drafts back and forth. Those drafts go to the clerks back and forth. Of course, of course, it's going to change the Constitution and the operations of the court on a going forward basis. It it, it is amazing to me how much uh, Ketanji Brown Brown Jackson doesn't want to answer basic, obvious, answerable questions. Can you tell us what a woman is? No, I'm not a biologist. Do you think it was a good thing or a bad thing for a clerk to leak a draft opinion of the Supreme Court. I can't answer that. What do you think about the pro- peaceful protests outside of Supreme Court justices' homes? I don't have a comment on that. 
It's really, it's really quite amazing. Do you remember how much fun they made of Clarence Thomas for not speaking too terribly much at oral arguments for the early parts of his tenure? He was just letting the lawyers do the talking, which is, you know, in some respects, maybe maybe the mannerful thing to do. But a lot of people said, why is he so quiet? And they attributed it, his quietness, to not being able to follow the argument. There was, you know, that subtle dig at him, that su- subtle criticism of him because they never thought he was smart or deserved to be on the court. Well, what do you say about someone who... Um, can't tell you what a woman is and doesn't know if it's a good or bad thing that the institution she's about to join uh, is leaking draft opinions uh, in an unprecedented manner, or at least one in an unprecedented, historically unprecedented manner that the chief justice and the senior justice condemned, or about inviting protests outside of Supreme Court justices' homes, a violation of at least two federal laws. I don't have any comment, she said. It's too bad Katie Kerr can't interview her in, for, a, uh, for a book because then Katie could just supply the answers Katie would want, you know, as she did with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. I was pleased to see in, uh, in the Wall Street Journal a letter from Ken Masugi. Uh, printed. Ken is a regular guest here, and he, in his letter, uh, quotes uh, a, from a speech of Abraham Lincoln's that I often quote from. A regular listeners will um, will recognize. We all declare for liberty, but in using the same word, we do not all mean the same thing. Uh, it's worth closing the show. Gosh, not every show, but almost darn nearly every show with this. Lincoln says the world has never had a good dis- definition of the word liberty, and the American people just now are much in want of one. We all declare for liberty, but in using the same word, we do not all mean the same thing. With some, the word liberty may mean for each man to do as he pleases with himself and the product of his labor, while with others, the same word may mean for some men to do as they please with other men and the product of other men's labor. Here are two not only different but incompatible things called by the same name, liberty. And it follows that each of the things is by the respective parties called by two different and incompatible names, liberty and tyranny. The shepherd drives the wolf from the sheep's throat, for which the sheep thanks the shepherd as a liberator, while the wolf denounces him for the same act as the destroyer of liberty, especially as the sheep was a black one. Plainly, the sheep and wolf are not in agreement upon a definition of the word liberty, and precisely the same difference prevails today among us human creatures, even in the North, and all professing to love liberty. Hence, Hence, we disdain and hope that the Wolf's Dictionary is repudiated. Yeah, they're redefining a lot of terms around here these days, aren't they, folks? I'll call it the Wolf's Dictionary. Maybe we can, too. Maybe we can create some new terms or bring back some old ones. I'm Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.